We are in a series called Be Encouraged, and today's message is called Confident Faith. I'm going to start it out a little differently. You may not think I'm trying to instill confidence here, but I want you to listen, okay? I have this weird thing where I like to go to cemeteries and read the stuff on the gravestones. Have you like to do that? They have some interesting stuff on gravestones and cemeteries, stuff you wouldn't expect sometimes. Some of them are downright funny, what they put on some of the gravestones. I want to share a few epitaphs with you that are actually on gravestones around the country. One of them says this, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. It really is on a gravestone. Here's another one. This one's in Tombstone, Arizona, and a cemetery there. Here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. (laughs) Uh, I can identify with this one. I resemble this remark. It's on a pastor's gravestone. Gone to another meeting. (laughs) Seems like there's always another meeting, right? Always. Uh, here's another one that uh, I think up in Ohio is where this one was. It says, here lies an atheist all dressed up and no place to go. Uh, (laughs) That's not even true. (laughs) Am I right? Okay. This is one of my, I could have shared a lot of it. This is probably my favorite though. I don't know why. This one just hits me funny. Uh, The guy's name is Solomon Pease. So it's got his name, Solomon Pease. Peas is not here, only the pod. Peas shelled out and went home to God. (laughs) We smile and laugh at some of these things, but we know death is a serious matter. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Every human being on the earth has this one thing in common. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We all live our lives on this earth in the shadow of the reality of death. And and so I want us to look at this passage we're at today. We're going straight through 2 Corinthians. Today we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. If you want to open up your Bibles, pull it up on your smartphone or tablet, we'll put these verses up on the screen for you as well. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 1 through 10, Paul addresses this idea of how we can live confidently even while we're here on this earth with the shadow of death hanging over us, Okay. Even with that shadow of death hanging over us, we can live with confidence every day. So let's pick up here, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 
Therefore, we are always confident. Here's that confidence, right? And know that as long as we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due, what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Four things I want us to look at today to remind us that we can live boldly with confident faith, even though all of us know death is out there and and we never know when it might come for us or the people we love or care about. How can we live with confidence? Well, I want to share the first couple of things don't sound like encouragement, but, but we'll get there. Okay. Here's the first thing Paul really reveals to us. Life here can be hard. Life here on this earth can be really hard. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. You'll have trials, trouble, challenges. You have to know that. And and we shouldn't act surprised when we go through struggles as if something strange, the scripture says, as if something strange is happening to us. It's the normal thing. Why? Because this earth, our existence here, all of us for our whole lives have been living under the curse of sin. It's a fallen world. And sin brings trouble for everybody. Not just the person who sinned, but everybody else too. You see, the consequences of sin don't just come on the person who committed the sin. It, 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 it affects everybody. And all of us sin. So all of us contribute to the problems and the struggles that we go through in this world. Paul describes our life here as being clothed with a tent. Now, I, I, I could do a survey, people online, Smyrna campus, everybody. Who, who here likes to tent camp? Raise your hand. God bless you crazy people, all right? <laughs> I do it sometimes, but I, if I had my preference, roughing it for me is a hotel room without room service. You know what I'm saying? It's, no, I'm kidding. It's, I don't mind roughing it a little bit for short periods of time, right? I mean, I don't want to be there long. Here's the thing about tent. There are two words that come to my mind when you think about living in a tent. One is how insecure it is. I mean, I understand you could be out in a place where you feel safe when you're in your tent, but a tent doesn't give you great protection. It's an insecure shelter. A storm could come up and what's going to happen to your tent? A tent could get blown away really quickly, really easily, ripped up by a storm very quickly and easily. Wild animals don't care that you're in a tent, especially the big hungry ones, all right? And a tent won't stop them if they want to get you. If you've got food open in there, they smell that food, they'll come in there and get it. And you might be there as part of the food, right? It's insecure. And he's saying life on this earth, because of this tent, earthly tent we live in, it's insecure, You see, these bodies, this fleshly body that we live in, it's fragile. And very quickly and easily, life can be gone from it. Now, we are more than just the tent, right? Our lives will go on. But this earthly body that we live in here, this is very temporary. And it's very uh, insecure as far as knowing it's always going to be there and function the way you want it to. I mean, 
all of us have probably experienced some of our body not functioning the way we want it to, right? All of us have experienced some of that. Even young people experience some of that, right? Even, even youths grow tired after they run a long time, right? Even young people, we, we have those effects of being in this flesh and how limited it is. It's insecure, but it's also a tent for me, I think, of uncomfortable, all right? I, again, I can sleep in a tent, and I've done it, and I probably will do it again in the future, but it's not the most comfortable thing to do to be out in the tent for very long. Um, especially, you know, I, I can do it one night pretty well, and, and, and I get stuff to help me be more comfortable. Like I've got this little mat I roll out to put my sleeping bag on. It kind of inflates a little bit, so it gives me a little cushion. So I'm not so terribly uncomfortable as just laying right on the ground, right? But even then, after sleeping on the ground one night, I don't look forward to the next night of sleeping on the ground. I don't know if you're that way or not, but that's the way I am. And here's the thing about tent living for about, you know, you, you stay out there three or four days or nights, you get a little, you know, humidity, you get a little rain, you get, you get the dew rising up from the ground, everything starts smelling like dirty socks after just a short time, right? It's pretty uncomfortable. And you don't realize it, but you start smelling that way too, right? Uh, it's pretty uncomfortable. And, and Paul is trying to get that across. That's why he uses the illustration of tent living for our earthly existence. It's not secure, and it's not supposed to be so comfortable for us that we don't look forward to what God has for us. That's so much better than this. He doesn't mind you having comfort in this world. That's a blessing. That's a good thing. He wants you to enjoy it if you've got good comforts in this world. But understand how insecure and temporary it really is while you're here. Which will give us that idea of looking forward to something better. The psalmist said in Psalm 90 and verse 10, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Any of you experiencing that quickly pass part now? Yeah. It seems like it speeds up over time how quickly our lives here pass, how quickly time goes by. And it's especially tough, uncomfortable, and insecure when we suffer heartache, sickness, death, loss while we're here. But that is life on this earth. I don't know how many of you watch the show America's Got Talent. I don't really watch it a lot, but, but I saw uh, an audition that this uh, young lady did, uh, and they showed her story, and it was really impressive. Uh, she's a singer that goes by the, the stage name of Nightbird. Her name is Jane Marzuski, and she's got cancer, and it's a very advanced kind of cancer. She's been battling it for a couple of years now. Got a 2% chance of survival on average with the type of cancer that she's got. She had an amazing testimony. If you haven't looked at it or read it or watched it, you could go back and catch it online. Uh, but she had this statement she made when they were asking her about how she was doing. And she was very inspirational. But she said this, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. I love that. Now, if you go to her site, she shares that she is a Christian. She's got faith in God and Christ, and that's where she gets her hope from. 
But as a Christian even, you can't wait till life isn't hard anymore to decide you're going to be happy in life. Because in this world, you're going to have trouble. You have to learn that your joy can't come from everything being good all the time. Because it's not going to be. And so many of you have experienced that firsthand. And I'm so inspired by so many of you that have gone through such hard things, but you've chosen joy in your salvation in Christ. What a testimony that is. What an inspiration that is. So that's the first thing today. Life here can be hard. I want to encourage you even more. The second thing is, and then you die. <laughs> you weren't expecting that one, but that, that's just the truth, isn't it? Life can be hard and then you die. How many of you know you're going to die? Raise your hand. Those of you that didn't wake up. <laughs> Life is hard and then you die. He says, we know this earthly tent is going to be destroyed. We know it's not going to last forever. It's not made to last forever. You need to live with that understanding right now. Stop acting like you've got all the time in the world and you know you're going to have even tomorrow. Life is hard and then you die. Everybody does. And, 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 and you know, so many people, I hate it too. I, I, I hated losing people that I love. I, you know, my mom and my dad are both dead and I've had others in my family that have died and, and it's hard and, and, and I don't like it, but I shouldn't act like I'm surprised by it because everybody dies. Everybody does. It surprised me on the timing, maybe. Maybe it surprised you on the timing, but it shouldn't surprise you that they died because everybody does. And that's why we can't put our hope in people. We don't have the ability to conquer death in and of ourselves. And Paul's trying to make the point that, that you are going to face death. You need to understand that. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's something more important you need to be thinking about than, than being scared of death, right? Everybody's body is going to die. What we need to be concerned about is eternity. What happens then, Right? I, as a pastor, have done a lot of funerals, and I can tell you, one of the saddest things families tell me is I don't know where they have gone now that they've died. I don't know if they were ready. I don't know if they were prepared. But they knew they were going to die. Why wouldn't you prepare for something you know is going to happen? Why wouldn't you go ahead and take advantage of God's offer of grace and mercy and preparation for eternity that he provides through Jesus. When you know you're going to die, why would you not prepare for something that happens to everybody and you're not going to be an exception? Why wouldn't you give your family that confidence that they can know where you're going when you die? Because it's hard to lose somebody you love, but it's harder when you don't know that they were saved, they were ready to go. It's much harder when you don't know. Why wouldn't you want to give them that assurance, that confidence? By making the preparations you need to make before death comes to your door. I love the, 
the psalmist in Psalm 23, right? This is one of the favorite psalms around the world, the 23rd Psalm. In verse 4 of Psalm 23, the psalmist says this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, and some translations say the valley of the shadow of death, right? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, you're going to die, but you don't have to live your whole life being afraid of that. Why? Because you've got a good shepherd who's already gone through it for you, who can take you through it and get you safely to the other side. You don't have to live in fear of death. When you're prepared through Christ, it's not something you have to be afraid of or concerned about or have doubts about. We don't need to live with that doubt. We need to have confidence. I love what Paul said in another letter, 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning with verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, he says, encourage one another with these words. We can live with encouragement and confidence because we know that those who are those who die in Christ, he's coming to get us and take us to be with him forever. We can have that absolute assurance and confidence as Christ followers. I want to throw in a side note, too, just to stir people up a little bit who have different views of end times. Okay. Hey, I love to stir things up like that. Here's, here's what. I want you to catch something here. He's talking about if you're still alive when Christ comes back, here's what's going to happen. Those who are already dead in Christ, they'll be taken up first. But then every other Christian, he says, will be taken up together with them to meet the Lord in the air and be with the Lord forever. None of them are going to be left behind when Jesus comes back to get us. None of them that are in Christ are going to be left behind according to this very clear teaching of Scripture. So no matter how you interpret anything else, you need to interpret it in light of this clear, easy-to-understand teaching that when Jesus comes back, everybody in Christ gets to go be with Jesus forever. That's the reward for being in Christ. So we have that confidence that moving forward, we don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen to us when we die. But here's the thing. You could give your family confidence that they know what happened to you when you die. If you have claimed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you, if you have his spirit dwelling in you, then you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in you also. So that they know you've conquered death when you go ahead too. So we can have that confidence, which leads to the third thing, a little more encouraging here, right? The third one, it gets better. Eagerly anticipate heaven while you're living here. Eagerly anticipate heaven. That keeps me going a lot of the bad days. How about you? It keeps me going a lot of the times when there's struggle and there's suffering or, or there's loss or there's pain to eagerly anticipate heaven. I've got people I love dearly that are already there with the Lord and I anticipate a great time of getting back together with them again. Don't you? Man, we need to live with that confidence, with that assurance in our lives. 
that we will get to experience an amazing reunion with the Father in heaven. Remember, he described life here in, in this letter, 2 Corinthians, as this tent kind of life with struggle and insecurity and uncertainty. But when you go to the scriptures and you read about heaven, you read about the existence of heaven. I, I just want to share four words that stand out to me about heaven. The first word is permanence. This is not a temporary dwelling when we get there. This is a secure, permanent dwelling. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. What's that place? It's my father's house. He said, there's room for everybody in my father's house. In my father's house, there's no more death or dying or pain or suffering or saying goodbye to anybody again. It's a permanent, secure, eternal existence. Man, I look forward to that permanence where you don't have to worry anymore about somebody getting sick or dying or some accident occurring and you lose somebody that you care about or love so much. It's a permanent place. Nothing can take you from there. You're secure in Christ. The second word that I really think about is perfection. Man, when you read about heaven, you see that everything there is perfect. It's designed that way by God. And he wants to give that to you as his gift to you as his child when you come to live with him in his house. He wants everything to be perfect for you. So Jesus went to prepare that perfect place for us. Now, how can you have a perfect place? Here's how. Listen to me. He gave us a perfect place to start with. You remember the Garden of Eden? Now, it would have remained perfect until we did what? Until sin came into the Sin destroys the perfection. Guess what doesn't exist in heaven? Sin. It's not there. There's nothing to mess it up. You know, I say on this earth all the time, we human beings, given enough time and opportunity, what can we do? But here's the cool thing. When we get there, we're not in this earthly tent anymore. This flesh that is under the curse of sin, that is inclined towards sin. We're not bound by that anymore when we get there. It's a perfect place. And there is no sin there at all. And when there is no sin, there is no suffering, and there is no hurt, there is no pain, there is no loss when there is no sin. God's prepared that perfect place for us. Friends, the longer I live on this earth, the more I long for that perfect place. The more I look forward to that perfect place. I, I appreciate what God has given me here, and I love the blessings that I have here, but, but I will really, really look forward to this time of being in that perfect place. We all need to live with that anticipation. The third thing that I think about with heaven is the people that are going to be there. I already mentioned it, but I've got people that I love very much that are already there. And I've got, as a pastor, giants of the faith that, that have inspired me and impacted my life in such great ways. And I look forward to seeing them again and just thanking them for what they've done for me in my life. And even those giants of the faith you read about in the Bible, you know what? You're going to see them there too because of what Christ did. It's not because they were so great. It's because they trusted in God and what God provided for them. But they're going to be there too. We're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're going to see, we're going to see Paul. We're going to see the other apostles. We're going to see Jesus in that place and dwell with him forever. When I think about the people in heaven, I long for it even more. And I'm so thankful that I can have confidence 
that I can go there and be there, not because of who I am, but because of who he is and what he's done for me. The last word I want to tell you that I think about with heaven is praise. (laughs) Praise to God. Praise to his son, Jesus. We're going to be dwelling in an existence of praise. But here's the thing about praise that we forget about. We, sometimes people say, I don't really want to go to heaven if you're just sitting on a cloud playing a harp. I don't even like harp music, right? I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, that's a misperception of heaven. You know what happens in heaven? It, it's praise and it's still service. We'll still be serving God, honoring God with our lives. Because one of the greatest acts of praise you can give to God is your service to him. I know we think of praise as just the singing or, you know, the, the, the testimonies. Are, and those are praise, and that's a good thing. But service is praise to God, too. And we're designed to serve him. That's what he made us for. And so that'll be part of the joy of praising God is continuing to be able to serve him and honor him with our lives there. So there's permanence and perfection and people and praise. Notice how I did all P's there? I don't know why. I just like doing that, so. Helps me remember stuff when I have the same first letter there all the time. All right. Third one, eagerly anticipate heaven. And that leads to the fourth one. Since we can eagerly anticipate heaven, then we can live confident in our salvation in the meantime. Live confident in your salvation. It will make your life on this earth so much better to live confident in your salvation to know you've got this taken care of, to know everything is lined up. You, are, you have responded to God's call in your life. You've, you've, you've accepted Christ as your Savior. You've, you've given your life over to be a disciple of Jesus, and you know that, and you can have confidence in that. Here's the thing the Scripture makes very, very clear. No one, no power, no force at work on this earth can take you away from the love of God ever. That's why you can have confidence in your salvation. Nobody can take it away from you, ever. Now, I want to throw in a word of caution. The Scripture does teach in Hebrews that you can choose to turn and walk away from Him. But nobody can take it from you, ever. You're still a free will being, even after you commit your life to Jesus. That means you're free to choose to follow him all the way to eternal life. And nobody can stop that. Nobody can remove that from your life. You can live with that confident faith every single day. In Acts chapter two, it's a great uh, chapter of the Bible where I say that about every chapter of the Bible. They're all great. Acts chapter two is where Peter has stood up and preached the first gospel sermon ever preached, okay? First time, The good news of the death, burial, and resurrection has ever been proclaimed, and God allowed Peter to do it. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. What do you do with keys? You open doors, right? So he preaches the first gospel sermon that opens up the door for entry into the kingdom through Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. He preaches that first gospel sermon, and in verse 36, he finishes up the sermon by saying this. Therefore, he doesn't say in conclusion, like so many of us do, and then keep going, right? He said, therefore... 
Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, here's the thing. He's told them about how Jesus came and he lived and did the miracles that he did. He's told them about how they, with the help of wicked men, took Jesus and nailed him to a cross, how, how they were all guilty of uh, their sin, put him there on that cross. And he said, Jesus, God then made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, both Lord and Christ, which means now they need to understand where Jesus is and who Jesus is. He's Lord, which means he's now the ruler, right? He's ruler over everything, but he's also Messiah. Messiah is Savior, Deliverer. He's both of those things for us. He's ruler and he's Savior and Messiah. Notice what happens in verse 37. When the people heard this message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, that phrase translated cut to the heart, I think you probably know what that means. It's like they came under conviction, of their sin. They realized they were responsible for Jesus having to die on that cross for them. And so they asked the next question. It's the most important question anybody can ask. When you realize you've committed sin and you've come short and, and you, you need help and you need salvation, the next question is the most important question. Brothers, what can we do about this? How can we make things right? What, what should we do? And Peter gave them the cure, the answer, the solution. He said this in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Now, he didn't have to tell them to believe. Why not? Because they wouldn't have asked that question if they hadn't believed his message already, right? If you don't believe, that's where you got to start, right? That's the key. You got to have faith in Jesus. But if you believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, if you believe that he died and rose again, if you believe he paid the price for your sin, then Peter says, here's what you need to do now to make things right so you can live with confident faith. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So that promise stands today. Because God calls people today to come receive that promise that he made through Christ. If you're here today and you're not confident in your faith, confident in your salvation, you don't need to live another day like that. God has done everything he can do so you don't have to spend another moment with doubts and insecurities about where you're going to go, what's going to happen in your life. He wants you to be able to have confident faith to live your life with every single day. So if you are here today and you do believe what the Bible is saying about Jesus, then you need to do what Peter says, repent. That's a simple word. It simply means turn your life around and start living for Jesus. Stop welcoming sin into your life and start embracing God's clear teachings in his word. Start learning and growing and following after Jesus. Commit yourself to a lifestyle like that. And then be baptized. If you're here and you haven't been baptized, that's a step you need to take. The Bible's clear. That's how you respond to God's call is by being baptized into Christ. People argue about baptism all the time, and I think it's kind of one of the silliest arguments the church has ever gotten into. If you believe Jesus and you're going to make him Lord of your life, should you do what he commands you to do? And he commands you to do what? Be baptized. Why, why wouldn't you just be obedient to what he's commanding you to do, right? Seems simple to me. 
that if he's Lord, you're going to let him rule and you'll do what he's telling you to do. So if you haven't been baptized yet, that's a step you need to take. He says, this promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And maybe he's calling someone today. Maybe you're listening online and you know God is calling you to take these steps. Just message us and let us know. But if you're in the room and you're ready, you know God's calling. The Bible says, you know, today's the day you know you've got to take care of this. You need to do it when you have the opportunity. Don't put it off. If you're ready, if you believe, today's the day of salvation, according to the scriptures. In 1 Peter 3, beginning with verse 18, Peter is talking about how Christ has paid the price and made the way possible for us. He says, Christ also suffered once for sins for the the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. But in it, only a few, eight in all, were saved through water. And then he adds this. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. But, but listen, he doesn't want you to misunderstand this. He doesn't save you because you got dunked in the water. Here's what he says. All right, listen. It symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. If you want to argue about, I don't think I have to get baptized, you can, but here's what it says clearly. Baptism is your pledge of a good conscience toward God. In the original language, it means It's like signing your name on the line, accepting the agreement that God offers you. When is the agreement enforced? When you accept it. You're not earning anything by signing your name on the line. You're accepting the offer that's being made. It doesn't mean you're working to get it. It means you're accepting it officially. That's what baptism is. It's like signing your name on the line saying, God, I I see what you've done for me. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. And yes, I want to accept your offer of grace and forgiveness and mercy. So I'm going to sign my name on the line. I'm going to decide today to follow Jesus. The way you sign your name on the line is by being obedient in Christian baptism. Now, if you've already been baptized, you don't have to do that again. If you were done, you've done that scripturally, you were immersed in water, you don't ever have to do that again. But maybe, you know, since your baptism, you have strayed away. You've not stayed on that path of following after Jesus, then, then what Peter said about repenting still holds true. You just need to repent. You need to turn around and come back. Get back in line with, on track with, God's call in your life. Here's the amazing thing. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. His grace and mercy is right there for you as soon as you turn around and come back. Maybe today you're ready to take that step. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you give us the ability to live and walk on this temporary existence on this earth with great faith and confidence, not in ourselves, but in you and what you've done for us through Jesus. Help us, Father, to remember to be grateful for what you've done for us and to respond with gratitude and love and to choose willingly and joyfully to let your teachings come into our hearts and to our minds and transform our lives as we continue to grow to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.